Part Three of The Giant Crab and Other Tales from Old India, retold by W. H. D. Rouse. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part Three The Goblin in the Pool, The Foolish Farmer and the King, The Pious Wolf, Birds of a Feather, Spend a Pound to Win a Penny, The Cunning Crane and the Crab, Union is Strength, Silence is Golden, the great yellow king and his porter the goblin in the pool animals in the forest have no bottles and glasses to drink out of so if they are thirsty they have to go down to a pool now in a certain great forest there was a pool in which lived a horrible goblin he was big and black like an immense monkey with an immense mouth and four rows of sharp teeth but he could not come out of the water because he had no nose but only gills like a fish so if any animal came down into the water to get a drink he pounced upon him at once and gobbled him up but he could not touch the animals while they remained on the bank one year there was a great drought and the sun was so hot that it dried up all the water in that forest for many miles around except the pool where this goblin was but this pool was very deep and cool under the trees and therefore it was not dried up there was a herd of monkeys who had been wandering about for a long time in search of water but found none until they came to this pool but the king of the monkeys was very clever and he noticed that there were a great many footprints going down to the water and none coming away so he warned his monkeys not to go near that pool However, one of them was very thirsty and ran down into the water, but as soon as he got into the water and was having a delicious drink, suddenly he disappeared. There were some bubbles, and no more was seen of the monkey. The other monkeys watched for a long time, wondering what had become of their friend, and then another, who was so thirsty that he could not help it, stepped quietly into the water and began to drink. In an instant he gave a shriek and threw up his hands, and the others saw him dragged down below the water. A few bubbles came up to the top and burst, but the poor monkey was gone. What were they to do? They were dying of thirst, and yet they were afraid to drink. The banks were high, and they could not reach the water from the top. So they all sat round the banks, looking at the water, very unhappy. By and by a man came down to the side of the pool. He wanted a drink of water, but he had no glass. So he looked round, and then he saw the monkeys sitting on the bank, very unhappy. "'What's the matter?' said he. "'Don't go into that pool,' said the king of the monkeys. "'If you do, you will be drowned like our two poor friends.' Then they told him how their friends had gone into the water to drink, and how they had both been pulled underneath and drowned. None of them could tell how." The man understood at once that it was a goblin, so he pulled up a long reed that was growing on the bank of the pool and cut off the ends, and then he put down one end of it into the water and sucked at the other end, and the water came up from the pool into his mouth. At this the monkeys were delighted, and they all pulled up reeds from the bank, for you know how a monkey always imitates what he sees men do, and sucked up the water through them and so quenched their thirst without going into the pool. And the goblin, finding that no more food was to be got, died of starvation, and a good thing, too.
the foolish farmer and the king once there was a foolish farmer who had a son at court serving the king this farmer was a very poor man and all he had to plough his fields with was one pair of oxen two oxen was all he had and one of them died the poor farmer was in despair one ox was not enough to draw the plough over the heavy land and he had no money to buy another so he sent a message to his son that he was wanted at home when the son came his father told him that one of his oxen was dead and he had no money to buy another so he begged his son to ask the king to give him an ox oh no no said his son i am always asking the king for something if you want an ox you must ask him yourself i can't do it said the poor farmer you know what a muddlehead i am if i go to ask the king for another ox i shall end by giving him this one well what must be must be said his son anyhow i cannot ask the king but i'll train you to do it so he led his father to a place which was dotted all over with clumps of grass the young courtier tied up a number of bundles of this grass and arranged them in rows now look here father said he this is the king that is the prime minister that is the general here are the other grandees pointing to each bundle as he said the name when you come into the king's presence you must begin by saying long live the king and then ask your boon to help him to remember the son made up a little verse for his father to say and this is the verse i had two oxen to my plough with which my work was done now one is dead o mighty king please give me another one well said the farmer i think i can say that and he repeated it over and over bowing and scraping to the bunch of grass that he called the king every day for a whole year the farmer practised and how the ploughing got on meanwhile i do not know perhaps he lived on the seed corn and did not plough at all at the end of the year he said to his son now i know that little verse of yours now i can say it before any man take me to the king so together father and son trudged away to the king's palace there on a throne he sat in gorgeous robes with his courtiers all around him the prime minister the general and all just as the young man had told his father but the poor farmer his head was beginning to swim already who is this said the king to the farmer's son who as you know was a courtier so the king knew him it is my father sire he answered what does he want the king asked all eyes were turned on the farmer who by this time was as red as a turkey cock and hardly knew whether he stood on head or heels however he plucked up courage and out came the verse as pat as a pancake i had two oxen to my plough with which my work was done now one is dead o mighty king please take the other one the king couldn't help laughing and he saw there must be a mistake somewhere plenty of oxen at home eh said he keeping up the joke if so sire said the farmer's son with a bow you must have given them the king thought that rather neat if i have not given you any so far said he smiling i will do it now and when the pair got home the farmer in despair at his blunder lo and behold in his cow-house were half a dozen of the finest oxen he had ever seen so the poor old farmer got his oxen though he did make a muddle of the verse 
the pious wolf once there was a flood and there was a large rock with a wolf sleeping on the top the water came pouring round the rock and when the wolf awoke he found himself imprisoned with no way of getting off and nothing to eat hmm said he to himself here i am caught fast sure enough and here i shall have to stay yet a while nothing to eat either well he thought after a pause it is friday to-day when people say you ought to fast suppose i keep a holy fast to-day a capital idea so he crossed his paws and pretended to pray and thought himself very good and pious to be fasting a fairy saw this and heard what he said and she thought she would just see how much was real and how much was sham so she changed herself into the shape of a pretty little kid and jumped down out of the air onto the rock the wolf opened an eye to see what the noise could be and there was a tender little kid standing on the rock he forgot his prayers in a minute aha said he a kid i can keep my friday fast to-morrow now for the kid he smacked his lips and jumped at the kid but the kid jumped away and try as he would he could not come near it you know it was the fairy and the fairy did not let herself be caught after trying to catch the kid for some time the wolf lay down again after all said he it is friday and perhaps i can best keep my fast to-day you humbug said the fairy who had gone back to her proper shape you are a nice creature to pretend that you are keeping fast you fast because you can't help it not because you are really good as a punishment you shall stay on this rock till next friday and fast for a week so saying she opened her wings and flew far away birds of a feather once upon a time there was a big horse called chestnut he was as fierce as a fury and bit everybody who came near him his groom always had a broken bone or a bruise at the least and as for the other horses let chestnut loose in the herd and there was a fine to do a kick for one a bite for another it was hurry scurry worry till they took themselves off and left him alone in the clover now the king wanted to buy some horses and a dealer had driven down a couple of hundred of them for the king to buy but the king was a skinflint and wanted to get them cheap so he dropped a hint to his groom that it would not be a bad thing if chestnut made acquaintance with these horses at the same time he dropped a gold piece in the groom's hand so the groom led chestnut by this new herd and all of a sudden he quietly flicked chestnut with his whip chestnut reared and plunged the groom shouted and pretending to find the horse too strong for him let go the halter off galloped chestnut kicking up his heels in the air roaring and whinnying and fine fun he had among the new horses by the time he had done with them hardly one had a whole skin the poor dealer was in despair he would be ruined and next day when the king came to see the horses he turned up his nose pooh do you suppose i want bruised old hacks like that look at that sore and here is a broken jaw why half of them limp in vain the dealer protested that it was chestnut's fault the king only laughed and asked if he expected him to believe that one horse could do all that mischief and yet as you know it was one horse and at the king's own bidding too however it was a pity that he should have to take them back again the king said 
so if he liked as a favor he would buy the horses at half price the dealer was not taken in by this but he pretended to be very grateful and went home again wondering what he could do he was afraid to offend the king and indeed very few people were rich enough to buy his splendid horses so he knew that he would be obliged to take some more down to the king another time then he suddenly remembered he had just such another vicious brute at home named strongjaw that nobody could do anything with aha said he i have it i'll take strongjaw down with me next time and if he does not prove a match for chestnut i am very much mistaken he chuckled with glee as he thought what a fine fight there would be between the two next time as he had resolved he brought strongjaw with the drove and as soon as the king's groom came by with chestnut and let him go as he did before the dealer's eyes twinkled and he let out strongjaw chestnut pricked up his ears and strongjaw pricked up his then without taking any notice of the rest they trotted up to each other and rubbed noses and began to lick each other over all they did not fight at all but in a moment they became bosom friends the dealer could not understand this neither could the king however this time the king had to pay a good price for the horses and as he saw his little trick was found out he felt rather ashamed of himself and so he paid the man for the other horses as well still uh, they kept wondering and wondering what the reason could be that these two horses each so fierce and wild were quiet as a pair of kittens together the king asked the wisest man in all his kingdom to explain it the man who was a minstrel that is he used to sing songs to the king about all that had happened or would happen in the world took up his harp and sang if the reason you would know like to like will always go here's a pair of vicious horses just the same in all their courses both are wild and bite their tether birds of a feather flock together spend a pound to win a penny some people were steaming peas under a tree in order to make a meal for their horses up in the branches sat a monkey who watched with his restless eyes what they were doing aha thought the monkey i spy my dinner so when they had finished steaming the peas and turned away for a moment to look after the horses gently gently the monkey let himself down from the tree he grabbed at the peas and stuffed his mouth with them and both hands as full as he could hold then he clambered up to his perch as best he could there he sat his wizened old face happy and cunning eating the peas suddenly one pea fell oh dear oh dear oh my pea my pea cried the monkey gibbering in distress the other peas began to fall out of his mouth but he did not notice them he wrung his hands in despair and the peas began to fall out of his hands too but he took no notice all he thought of was this that one pea was gone so he shinnied down the trunk and scrambled about on the ground hunting for his lost pea but he could not find it anywhere by this time the men had come back after seeing to their horses when they saw a monkey meddling with their cooking pots they all waved their arms and called out shoo shoo then they picked up stones and began to pelt the monkey with them 
This terrified the monkey so much that he gave one jump to the nearest branch and swung himself up to the top of the tree. After all, said he to himself, it was only one pea. But he ought to have thought of that before, for now, like a thunderclap, it came home to him that somehow or other all the other peas had gone too. That day the monkey had to content himself with the smell of boiled peas for dinner, and I hope the loss taught him not to be so greedy in future. THE CUNNING CRANE AND THE CRAB Once upon a time a number of fish lived in a little pool. It was all very well while there was rain, but when summer came and it began to be very hot, the water dried up and got lower and lower until there was hardly enough to hide the fish. Now, not far away there was a beautiful lake, always fresh and cool, for it lay under the shadow of great trees, and it was covered all over with water lilies, and a crane lived on the banks of this lake. The crane used to eat fish when he could catch any, and one day, coming to the little pool, he saw all the fish gasping in it, and thought of a neat trick to get hold of them without trouble. "'Dear fish,' said the crane, "'I am so sorry to see you cooped up in this hole. I know a beautiful lake close by, deep and fresh and cool, and if you like, I will carry you there.' The fish did not know what to make of this, because never since the world began had a crane done a good turn to a fish. You see, it is just as absurd to suppose that a crane would help fish as to think that a cat would be kind to a mouse. So they said to the crane, We don't believe you. What you want is to eat us. This was just what the crane did want, but he did not say so. Oh, no, no, said he, I'm not so cruel as all that. I have eaten a fish now and then. He saw it was of no use denying that, because they knew he had. But I have plenty of other food, and it goes to my heart to see you here. In this hot water you will all be boiled fish before long. Well, that's true enough, said the fish. The water is hot. Well, the end of it was they persuaded an old fish with one eye to go and see. The crane took the one-eyed fish in his beak and put him in the lake, and when he had seen that what the crane said was true so far, he carried the fish back again to tell the others. The old fish could not say enough to praise the lake. It's ever so big, he said, and deep and cool, just as the crane said, and there are trees overshadowing it, and water lilies are growing in the mud, and the whole of it is covered with fine fat flies. Ah, what a feast I have had! And he rolled up his one eye at the thought of it. Then all the fish were eager to go, and now it was who should be first. Every fish was anxious to remain no longer in the pool. They came to the top of the water, all begging the crane to take them to this beautiful lake. One at a time, said the crane, I have only one beak, you know. And he smiled to himself, for that beak was made to eat fish, not to carry them. However, it was decided that as the one-eyed fish had been so brave as to trust himself in the crane's beak, before he knew what the truth was, he certainly deserved to go first. So the crane took the one-eyed fish in his beak and carried him over to the lake. But this time he did not drop the fish in. He laid him in the cleft of a tree and pecked his one eye out with his beak. Then he killed him and ate him up and dropped his bones at the foot of the tree. 
by and by the crane came back for another now then who's next asked the crane old one eye is swimming about as happy as a king he picked up another fish and served him like the first dropping his bones at the foot of the tree and so it went on until in a few days the pool was empty the cunning crane had eaten every single one of the fish he stood on the bank peering into every hole to see whether there might not be a little one left somewhere there was one surely no it was a crab never mind he thought all's fish that comes to my net so he invited the crab to come with him to the lake why how are you going to carry me asked the crab in my beak to be sure replied the crane oh you might drop me said the crab and then i should split oh no i promise i won't drop you said the crane but the crab had more sense than all the fish put together and he did not believe in the crane's friendship at all so he still pretended to hesitate and at last he said well i'll tell you what i can hold on tighter with my claws than you can with your beak i'll come but you must let me hold on to your neck with my claws then i shall feel safe the crane was so hungry that without stopping to think he agreed and then the crab got tight hold of his neck with his claws and the crane carried him towards the lake but after a while the crab saw that he was being carried somewhere else indeed to that tree where the crane used to sit and eat the fish crane dear said he aren't you going to put me in the lake crane dear indeed said the crane do you suppose i was born to carry crabs about not i just look at that heap of bones under yon tree those are the bones of the fish that used to live in your pool i ate them and i'm going to eat you are you though said the crab and gave the crane's neck a little nip then the crane saw what a fool he had been to let a crab put a claw round his neck he knew that the crab could kill him if he liked and he was frightened to death at the thought people who try to deceive others often pay for it themselves and that is what happened to the crane dear crab said he with tears streaming from his eyes forgive me i won't kill you only let me go just put me in the lake then said the crab the crane stepped down to the lakeside and laid the crab upon the mud and the crab as soon as he felt himself safe nipped off the crane's head as clean as if it had been cut with a knife so perished the treacherous crane caught by his own trick and the crab lived happily in the beautiful lake for the rest of his life union is strength there once was a clever fowler who used to hunt quails he could imitate the quail's note exactly and when he had found a hiding place he used to sit hidden in it and call out the quail's note until a number of quails had come together then he threw a net over them and bagged them all but amongst the quails was one very clever bird and he hit on the following device he told the quails when they felt the net drop over them that each one should pop his head through one of the meshes of the net and then at the word away they would fly together all fell out as he arranged next day the fowler sounded his imitation of the quail's note and the birds flocked from far and near then when a good many had gathered in a clump within his reach he cast the net which fell over them and made them all prisoners they all did what the wise quail had told them 
each quail put his head through one of the meshes then at a word they were all away together bearing the net with them after some little time they saw a large bush and dropped upon this bush and then the net was held up by the bush while all the birds got away underneath again and again this happened until the fowler began to despair he came home every night empty-handed and besides that he had lost ever so many nets why did he keep on trying to catch them then because he thought that sooner or later they would begin to quarrel and then the game would be his and quarrel they soon did one quail happened to tread on another's toe what are you doing clumsy said the second quail angrily oh i'm very sorry said the first i really did not mean to tread on your toe you did i tell you i didn't what a lie a lie is it hoity-toity how high and mighty we are to be sure i suppose it is you lift up the net all by yourself when the man throws it over us and so they went on getting angrier and angrier and the result was that next day when the fowler made his cast said the first quail to the second now then samson lift away they say that last time your feathers all fell off your head oh indeed they say that when you tried to lift both your wings molted lift away and let us see if it is true but while they were quarrelling and each telling the other to lift the net the fowler lifted it for them crammed them all together into his basket and took them home for dinner silence is golden once upon a time a lion had a she-jackal for his mate and they had a young one this cub was just like his sire to look at in shape and color mane and claws but in voice he took after his dam so you would fancy he was a lion so long as he held his tongue this cub used to play about with the young lions and merry times they had to be sure tumbling head over heels and trying to knock each other down one day in the midst of their game the mongrel cub thought he would frighten them so he opened his mouth wide intending to roar and all that came out was a yelp like the yelp of a jackal the other young lions were quite shocked they could not imagine what strange creature this was one of them went up to the old lion who was watching them and said lion's claws and lion's paws lion's feet to stand upon but the bellow of this fellow sounds not like a lion's son you are right said the old lion his dam was a jackal and then turning to the poor cub who was looking very crestfallen he said all will see what kind you be if you yelp as once before so don't try it but keep quiet yours is not a lion's roar the poor little cub slunk away with his tail between his legs while the other lions sniffed and turned up their noses at him ever after that he took good care to hold his tongue when he was in the company of his betters the great yellow king and his porter once upon a time in a great and rich city reigned a mighty king who was called by the title of the great yellow king this king was very cruel to his people and ground them like grist in the mill he robbed them of their goods many he cast into prison others he ill-treated cutting off an arm or a leg or blinding them and some he put to death without cause 
He was just as bad at home. When he was a boy he did nothing but tease his sisters, pulling their hair and putting spiders down their necks. And now that he was grown up he made life a misery to wife and child. He was like a speck of dust that gets into your eye, or a thorn in the heel, or grit between your teeth. But it is a long lane that has no turning, and at last the great yellow king died. When a king or queen dies, people are generally very sorry, and wear mourning for them. But when the great yellow king died, there was such rejoicing and merriment as had not been known for many a long day. All the shops were shut, and all the schools had a whole holiday. There were rarey shows and merry-go-rounds, and everybody high and low was half daft with joy. But one man was not joyful. On the steps of the palace sat the yellow king's porter, sighing and sobbing, weeping and wailing. No one could understand it. Everybody in the whole town was glad, and here was this porter crying. At last someone asked him why he cried. "'What is the matter?' said he. "'Was the great yellow king so kind to you as all that? I never heard of his being kind to anybody.' "'No, it isn't that,' sobbed the man. "'Well, what is it, then?' The man looked up and rubbed his eyes. "'Well,' he said, "'I'll tell you. When his majesty used to come out of his palace, down the steps, he always gave me a cuff on the head, and another when he came back what a fist his majesty had to be sure now if he tries that game on with the porter who sits by the gates of death i am very much afraid they won't have him there at any price and then he will come back to us but the other man laughed and said don't be afraid of that porter he's dead and done for and however much they wish it they can never send him back to us again so the porter was comforted and wiped his eyes and went to get a glass of beer. End of part three.